have to squeeze all that in in 15 minutes? I don't think so. Anyway, it is so terrifically wonderful just to see everybody. I feel really encouraged this morning, do you? Uh, it's wonderful just to worship together, isn't it? I was just, uh, I feel, felt like I was having a long, tall drink of cold water in a hot day. <laughs> yeah, praise the Lord. Uh, so my message today, if you want to put up the PowerPoint, uh, is uh, we're living in what I believe is a moment of truth. A moment of truth. I'm going to draw a little bit from that well-known scripture from Romans 8, uh, 28. And we know that, all thi- that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. I'm glad I took my mask off. Now you can hear me and you can see me. It's an odd thing, isn't it, to see everyone wearing a mask. And uh, it means, I mean, I know you, but it means that if you're meeting somebody, you can't really see them for who they are. Uh, And in fact, if you wear a mask and look in the mirror, you can't really see yourself either for who you are. Now, uh, I was reading in Corinthians that uh, Paul actually refers to that, and he reminds us that actually Moses wore a mask. So we're not the first. He wore a mask because of the glory of God that was upon him, and when he came down, the people couldn't stand to see his face because it was shone, and so he had to put a mask on. Now, Paul uses that particular incident to say that uh, we actually are all wearing masks over our hearts. And uh, over our spiritual inner being, our, the face of our soul has a mask on it as well, which means that we can't really see ourselves as we really are. And others don't really know who we really are either. But I'm very pleased to know that actually God uh, sees past all of that. We look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And he is looking at the heart right now. In Psalm 7 and 9, it says that uh, God's righteousness tries the heart. You want to put on slide two? Sorry, I have to go at it this way. God tries the heart. He assesses. Tries is an interesting word. It actually means he assesses what's in our heart. It's like uh, someone doing an assay, uh, trying what is in our heart. He sees what's in our heart. Uh, not that he doesn't know. God knows what's in all our hearts. He doesn't really need to try our hearts because he already knows what's in our heart. He's doing that actually for our benefit because we don't know what's in our hearts. And so he is assessing things and showing what is in our heart. The Spirit searches and looks in the hearts of men. In fact, the Scripture says that the Spirit goes throughout the whole world searching, looking for someone whose heart is toward God that he might strongly uphold him. So the Spirit of God is searching hearts today. And I don't believe it's restricted to believers. He searches our hearts. He still searches my heart and your heart. But he also searches the hearts of all the people because God loves all people. And he's searching the hearts and even looking to see if there is someone whose heart is toward him that he might strongly encourage him and help him find the author of all truth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So there's that sense of, 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 us, of showing us what we are, but the, the, the good news about the little word trying is even better than that because trying is also talking about the trial of faith, which is in essence there to purify, to 
take what is impure and remove it. So he's trying and exposing, not to make us feel guilty, but to actually cleanse and take away the very thing that is holding us prisoner. Sin holds us prisoner to all the goodness of God. I love that song we sang the last, and I can testify to that. I've been around now for quite a while. I'm sad to say. I hope to be around for a lot longer. I'm happy to say. <laughs> uh, but I can tell you this, that every day I'm thankful because I can say over my whole life, and I've got a history now I can look back on, and my history is about the goodness of God. He has been faithful. He is my friend. He's my father. He is the one who loves my soul. He's the lover of my soul. And uh, he has been faithful. And so when, when our life's experiences, even when God exposes the things, they're there to expose the things that are keeping us from that relationship which our whole soul yearns to have. I believe this is a significant time. Let's turn to, move it forward, Brian, thanks. It's a crisis, and I believe it's the moment of truth. If uh, you look at the dictionary, the, uh, a moment of truth is defined as a time when a person or thing is tested, when a decision has to be made, or a crisis has to be faced. So this is a moment of truth in many ways because there is a crisis, obviously, which has to be faced. And at the same time, people are being tested by this particular time and this particular crisis. And choices have to be made. And the question is, what is in your heart? What is in the heart of people? And you notice when you just observe what happens uh, during these times of crisis is that people deal with it in many different ways. Some people face a crisis by denial. They say there isn't there. They just hope the danger will go, well, just go away. You know, those are actually sequences most of us probably go through. Uh, but uh, sometimes it's just a question of denial. And, uh, of course, Moses escaped by floating in denial. Uh, but no, that's my little joke of the day. But <laughs> uh, or just simply by self-confidence. It won't happen to me. Some, I have some special status. And now we're seeing that even with this pandemic, that, that whole illusion is going right out the window. People who, have, who are, you know, special in many ways and earthly terms are still getting sick. And so whether you're rich, poor, whether you're the wealthiest nation in the world or the poorest nation in the world, everybody can be hit by it. Whether you're strong, famous, infamous, or whatever, you can still be hit by it. It's a great equalizer, as Pastor Janet calls it. So some face uh, this, we're thinking they have some special status and won't happen to them, and we're finding out that that's a, that's a lie. Uh, some people uh, attack crises with anger. They're shouting at the storm or at the crew who's in the ship, shouting at them, angry. Why doesn't somebody do something? Some face a crisis also with incredible courage and, and self-sacrifice, and we're seeing that as well. A crisis exposes... What's in your heart? A crisis makes the mask come off. So I believe this is a moment of truth. And the crisis actually is taking masks off and showing people's vulnerability and showing them is there hope. The power behind a crisis is fear. And, uh, you know, the Bible 
makes it clear that in the end times, men's hearts will fail them for fear. I'll tell you one thing. If I were not a believer, I would be fearful because there's good reasons to be fearful. But as a believer, faith actually can displace fear. It can push it out of the way. Faith does not deny the truth or the reality of things. Faith does not shout at the storm. Faith stays when optimism runs out. What's in your heart? Faith or fear? Faith in God and specifically faith in Jesus Christ is what we need. Faith is not blind optimism. It's a trust in a person who is with you and who you have come to know. The spirit of fear has a very loud voice. The spirit of Christ has a gentle voice, but it speaks peace to the storm. And there's power behind that gentle, quiet, still voice. Much more power than in the loudness of the storm. Christ speaks peace. It's not really what's in your heart as much as who's in your heart. And we've invited the Prince of Peace into our heart. So there's also what I call the Jesus moment of truth. It's not a negative crisis. It's actually a positive crisis. It's a moment of truth that, uh, that uh, is created by great opportunity. And I was thinking of, the, of the, actually the uh, woman at the well. Jesus came to earth as God disguised as a man. So he actually wore the mask of man, or that actually talks about the veil of the flesh. That was Jesus was veiled. He was God veiled in the flesh. So he, was, he came as God, but masquerading as a man. And uh, the natural eyes could not see him for who he was. But you know, the remarkable thing is when you have the Spirit of God in you, the, the inner man of everybody can experience and know that they have had an encounter with some, with the spiritual power of God. So whether it's Christ in you or Jesus himself, when he met the woman at the well, she knew there's something special about him. And uh, he began to speak to her, began to tell her the truth. It was a, a crisis of truth. Because Jesus is full of truth. He came to earth full of truth. So he doesn't deny the facts. He looks at the facts. He sees the facts. He knows what you are inside and outside. He knows everything about you. And in fact, uh, I always found it interesting, though, when she went back to testify about meeting him, she told one of the things that, that touched her was she told, he told me everything about me. Why would that be good news? Everything about her was terrible. Everything was like it couldn't be worse. Uh, she was a Samaritan. She had been married like five times. She was married with another guy. She had like, wow. And, and worse, she was a woman. <laughs> Come on. Uh, no, but she was uh, like everybody was saying, what are you talking to her for? Jesus not only, Jesus created this crisis, this moment of truth for her. He not only, he not only accepted her, but he went out of his way to come to her. Jesus is not only full of truth, but he's full of grace. 
I think she became extremely delighted because she was accepted even though he told me everything about me. He saw my worst moments. He saw everything that was about me that, was, that should have caused rejection, everything that gave me doubt and shame. He saw it all, and yet he accepted me. Jesus is full of grace and truth. So this is a moment of truth, but it doesn't have to be a negative moment. It can be a moment when we meet the author of all grace. We come to the Prince of Peace, the one who sits on the throne of grace, and he can take everything that is negative and turn it around. Hallelujah. When the Lord comes to you, he takes your mask off. And sometimes you get to see something you don't like about yourself. But it's a wonderful, freeing thing when you see the truth and know you're still accepted. You're still beloved. You're still loved. When you see you, he sees you as you are, the real self. But you know, actually, you don't even know what the real self is. And God sees even beyond the things that you think you are. And discover something, he sees something uh, that you would not have noticed. Uh, think of Saul of Tarsus. He was a vehement anti-Christian guy. He could not have been worse. And he encountered Jesus. In a moment of crisis, he encountered Jesus. And Jesus accepted him. You have to, and look who he became. Someone has pointed out, it's almost as if one of the captains of, the, of ISIS, one of those war guys of ISIS, got saved and became the Pope. How likely is that? But that's really what the nature of God's grace is. It's so powerful that it can take you from the guttermost to the uttermost He's the great equalizer, whether you're good, bad, or indifferent. When you meet and encounter Jesus, he exposes your heart for what it is. He sees and finds things in your heart you didn't know were there. And he actually exposes those and brings those out. He purifies. He tries the heart. He assesses what's there. He tells you what's there. And then he purifies it so that that which is good, that which is gold, that which is silver, is tried and brought forth in purity by the event of that encounter. Hallelujah. So, the question right now is, what is God doing in this particular crisis? I do believe it's a moment of truth that is on a global societal level. We only have to observe and see that there are some things happening uh, on that global level. And it's a, it has an extremely fearful component. We're all vulnerable. We're all at risk. We're all at risk without distinction. It is useless to ignore, deny, or shout political slogans. It calls for united action against a common enemy. And in fact, there's no guarantee of victory even offered. Science is limited to man's ability. And because of that limitation, we're left sometimes with an uncertain optimism or even fatalism. But faith in the person who died for the love of humanity keeps us steady through all of that. And so when everything else fails, when optimism runs out, faith remains. The present external crisis can be for a, 
a moment of truth for also for a personal opportunity. And perhaps there are people even watching, they'll be watching this online, and you haven't actually made that choice of accepting having Jesus, what's in your heart, having Jesus in your heart. Uh, don't leave home without it. Uh, come into that place of personal uh, relationship, because this could be a moment of personal opportunity for you. And that moment of personal encounter with Jesus, which probably most of us in this room have had, uh, we chose him. We chose to have faith in him. Now he is in my heart. It's not just faith is in my heart, but he himself is in my heart. And that makes all the difference in the world. He will never abandon me, and he has not abandoned the world either. It is a moment of crisis, but it's also an opportunity to face the reality of our eternal vulnerability as humanity, as people, and discover and put into your heart something that will enable you to be steadfast and endure. Stop hiding behind the mask of denial. Stop hiding behind arrogance and fake optimism. Let this be a personal moment of truth. We are human. We are mortal. We have fears, doubts, perhaps anger, shame. An encounter with Jesus full of truth will expose those things, but also take them away because he's full of grace. You find forgiveness, acceptance, and a loving, supportive partner and a guide in life. Everyone needs a Savior. So let me finish with this word of hope. I am optimistic because actually I actually have faith in Jesus, and I know what he's like, and I know what his heart is. His heart is for the world around us. He still loves the world and the people in it. His will is to shift this evil crisis toward ultimate good. Let's just go to the next slide just to put up this uh, wonderful scripture. It's one of my favorite scriptures, and I think most Christians actually quote it. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and who are called according to his purposes. There's some things that we need to understand as we just read this scripture quickly. First of all, be careful don't to just take it in pieces. It says, does not say, God does not cause all things. God doesn't cause all things. But he does cause all things to work together for good. He did not originate this pandemic. He did not will joblessness, pain, death, sickness, economic hardship. He is not the originator or the creator of those things. He did not cause them. But he will cause them to work together for good. As an outcome of love. Pain is never wasted when you belong to God. He will work it for good. Then it goes on to say, he'll work it good for who? He'll work it good for those who love God. Not necessarily good all around, but good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. God would like it to be good for everyone, but not everyone has bought into the eternal life. Some things God optimizes, God optimizes even things meant for evil here on earth for our eternal good. Well, if you don't have 
an inheritance, it won't help you. So it's possible that some things that happen here on earth will not turn out so good on earth, but they will turn out good for eternity always. Our hope is, is that it will turn out for good for eternity and for now. And that certainly is possible, but not always possible. Jesus had to be crucified. It did not turn out so good. I don't think that's really what God would have liked to have happened, but it was necessary to happen because there was no other way. If it's possible, let this cup pass, but it could, was not possible. So he went through that pain and suffering, but he also rose from the dead and rescued all of humanity. So God actually turned that to an amazing good, which was meant for evil by the enemy and by, by those who crucified him. But God turned it to good. Jesus prayed over Jerusalem, 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 how I would have gathered you like a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. So there are other things at play here. Sometimes things don't always work out well here on earth because of decisions that people make or things that happen or whatever. But for a believer, it'll always be good because we have eternity and God optimizes on eternity. You get that? If it's possible, God wills not only that your soul prospers, but that you, you prosper also materially and in this life. God is, not a, God is not like, okay, I need to make everybody suffer. No, he'd rather nobody suffered. He, the scripture even says he doesn't rejoice even when the wicked die. He's not happy about that. He hates wickedness, but he loves people. And he would that even the worst sinner turn to God. So if it's possible for now and for eternity, if possible for all believers and unbelievers, God would bring grace to bear. So I see this not just as a crisis that causes us to see the reality of our mortality, but it's also a crisis of opportunity. It's a crisis of opportunity for anyone who comes to the Lord. He can turn what is meant for harm to good. And you can observe it. I've seen it in my own life. Most of you can testify of the same thing who are here today. You can all see that those things that the enemy meant for harm or that other people did to hurt you or whatever, God has twisted it around so it actually becomes something good. It's like you've been in a battle and you've won. The life here is a battle. We have to remember there's an enemy who's like a roaring lion. This is a battle. It's a battle you cannot win unless you have the Lion of Judah, on your side. Hallelujah. And finally, I think also one of the moments of truth that we can experience is that we're here on purpose. As believers, we have a role to play. Uh, I think it was Peter that said, always be ready to give account, to give defense for the hope that you have in Christ Jesus. When the hope of others fails and your hope remains, it will be a natural question. Why do you have hope when I'm feeling devastated? Well, because my hope is in Jesus. And, and, and you'll be able to give the defense to that in such a way that it doesn't put the other person down but encourages them to find the same hope you have. There's hope and help at the throne of grace. We're seated with him on that throne of grace. We're a royal priesthood along with the high priest, Jesus Christ. We're here as a, as a bridge between heaven and earth. And we need to touch heaven and bring heaven down to earth. We need to bring hope to those when things are hopeless. And to bring help where we can. And we can pray for 
the limited knowledge of scientists. I pray for them. I hope they, I hope they will find a solution to all of this. I want them to mitigate the problems. I pray for the people who are out there working in the front lines because they are showing self-sacrifice. There's some tremendously good people. It's not really about being good or bad. You know, I've noticed that good people get sick too. It's not about being good or bad. It's about whether or not you have something that goes beyond this present life to draw from, and that's Jesus himself. Amen. I'm going to pray, and join me in prayer uh, also right now. We're, I'm just so grateful for, for all of you, and the Lord's been gracious to us. Not a single person in our fellowship has had, uh, any, has had a, an impact from this particular virus. We continue to pray for that safety, especially here as a church. We don't want our church to bring discredit uh, to the name of Jesus, since uh, I really appreciate that everybody's taking all these precautions. I know it's not easy, but we're believing God. So let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you've given us hope in Jesus Christ. It's a hope that is not in vain. For all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And we've discovered that through our journey in life already that you are faithful. And when we say and add our amen to that hope, faith engages your divine power, and we're kept by the word of God. So, Lord, I just give you thanks, first of all, that we have found a hope in Christ Jesus. Now, Lord, we pray that from that place of hope, from that place of grace and hope that we have in you, where we are seated with you, Lord, and you are seated with us, you're with us. Lord, from that place, we can... We can call on your wonderful name and pray, Lord, for our neighbors. For, Lord, you made yourself a neighbor of the world so that you could come and heal and care for. And now, Lord, we are in that place. So, Lord, I pray that you will give us uh, divine encounters with people, your orchestrated rendezvous, that we may meet people and give defense to our hope so they also can find hope in you. Lord, we pray that there will be help found that can cause this crisis, Lord, to be mitigated. Lord, so that uh, even places where there is poverty and where there's no other hope, Lord, you are a hope. May your hope invade those places, Lord, and bring an end to this crisis, Lord, we pray in the precious and wonderful name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you and thank you for listening.